Welcome, everybody. I'm Ray Ray, and I just wanted to uh, make sure that we shared this uh, before uh, we get to the episode's content. On May 26th, we have the Ascension Day Crown Rights Rally. The theme is Ascension, foretold, fulfilled, forever. And just to let you guys know, I know I haven't officially put it on the podcast or the YouTube uh, channel yet, anyway, whenever we've advertised it, but I do have Dave coming down. So he's going to introduce, um, bring us into the Ascension. He is going to pray. Um, I've got uh, Josh Jenkins, which is the elder at Hope Baptist, also a tag fellow. We've got Jason Gunter of Willow Springs First Baptist Church there. I've worked with him in the past at Glenstone Baptist and with his youth group on a summer camp, too. You can check out those episodes where I talk about apologetics with them. And then also I'll be taking the forever point. So we've got foretold, fulfilled forever. We're going to pray for our leadership as we are called to pray um, for our civil magistrates so that they would, that we could live peacefully with them and that they would also come to repentance and faith and rule things underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our city. But Jesus is a public Jesus. He is a public savior and all men are called to repent and confess that and bow the knee to him. And so that's what we will be praying for and proclaiming on thursday may 26th at the historic city hall so that's 8 30 north boonville if you put it in your phone to look it up and we'll be meeting on the grassy part uh that's close to chestnut expressway so that's usually where things go down there um if there's any sort of public demonstrations or whatever but that's where we'll be that's where if you're been a part of the psalm scenes with hope baptist that's where we were and so again this is the ascension day rally um, Ascension foretold, fulfilled forever, Thursday, May 26th, 6 p.m. at the historic City Hall. Time together, pray, sing, and proclaim Jesus' Lordship over our city because he's got the Lordship over the nations. See you there. Welcome, everybody, to the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I am David Van Bever. And who are we joined with on the show today? Well, I'm Tom Askell, coming from Cape Coral, Florida. Oh, man. And uh, I, you don't have your window open, so I can't see uh, how the weather is outside. How is everything in Florida today? It's it's beautiful and hot. So, uh, yeah, beautiful it's a great, great day. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking we're going to have the same about, you know, we, we get the humidity up here in Springfield, and I'm sure Kansas gets that nice. Uh, just a, when it gets hot, it gets hot, and you want to be inside, but... Yeah, thank you, uh, Tom, for coming on the show with your busy schedule. So you're a pastor, um, you 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 run with uh, Founders Ministries, and now you're running for president. You've got a lot on your plate. How are you feeling that pressure right now? Uh, yeah, well, it's not not really any pressure uh, because I'm just kind of holding everything loosely and uh, just trusting the Lord to do whatever He's going to do. But I'm glad to have opportunity to speak to folks like you and give interviews and uh, just comment on things people ask me about. So uh, I've been doing that for many, many years, but it's just kind of ramped up a little bit here over the last month or so. Yeah, Dr. Askell, yeah. um, 
obviously, if anyone has listened to our podcast before, they've been introduced to you. Likewise, you have hosted a lot of uh, interview questions like this. There's some great resources out there on YouTube. Uh, mm -hmm. I've given you just some ideas of things that we were going to talk about. But likewise, I've watched some great YouTube videos where others have interviewed you on these things. So I'm going to kind of move a few different things around in that schedule that I gave you. Look, we just saw HB 813 destroyed, gutted in Louisiana. This is a problem, a serious problem. I mean, I should say, I really admire your brother. He's been so kind to me. Uh, I met him last year at the Founders Conference. But here's the tragedy with all this. Uh, 70 different pro-life organizations shot out um, statements against that. And one of those entities was uh, the ERLC and the interim president, Brent Leatherwood. I right. would like to just get right out of the gate here. We've Again, we'll ask some of the other more generic questions, but uh, this is one that I really want to get your thoughts on because it's right now going on. What, when you see that the president of the ERLC made a action that was directly opposed to the messengers of the Southern Baptist Convention and the overwhelming statement that they made regarding abortion, but not just at the national convention, we're talking about numerous state conventions as well. What do we do and how do we rationalize that as Southern Baptists who pay to the cooperative program? Yeah, well, that's a great question, Dave. I'm actually uh, just finishing up an article that I hope maybe I'll get released today or tomorrow, but uh, on this very issue, and um, what <laughs> the best way that I can can couch this is I think what we're seeing in this pro-life movement and especially within the SBC is the same thing we're seeing beyond the pro-life movement in the broader evangelical world. We have evangelical elites who judge themselves to be the betters of all of us deplorables. And so they tell us, here's what you ought to think, here's what you ought to do. And I, I kind of see that action on the part of Mr. Leatherwood and the ERLC in the same light. I'm, I read that open letter three times and I find it appalling. I find the rationale, the logic, the moral reasoning to be terribly flawed. I'm not judging the motives of these people. I'm not suggesting that they don't genuinely want abortion to end. I'm, I am suggesting, no, I'm not just suggesting, I'm charging that their moral reasoning is horribly flawed. And it comes right back down to the, the problem that we've talked about, I've talked about for a long time, is we need to return to clear teaching on God's law and God's gospel. We've forgotten it. We don't, we don't regard God's law any longer. If you did, you couldn't use the kind of uh, flawed logic that we see in that open letter signed by, what is it, nearly 80 leaders of pro-life organizations? I'm thinking, how in the world did we get here? That's not what the rank and file pro-life Christians I know believe. They don't believe that. They, they see that baby as a image bearer of God from the point of conception and fertilization and worthy of equal protection under the law. And I think that some of the elites in the pro-life movement have just looked at that and say, oh, well, you poor little people, you don't understand the intricacies and the nuance that we must operate in if we're going to be effective in contending for pro-life legislation. And I, I really believe that most Christians who would call themselves pro-life would not be satisfied at all with that kind of approach. So mm -hmm. I know that I sent you that, 
list of questions. And I realized as I read it a few times that I was not very creative and that I'm fairly generic in some of the things that I think are really important, but others have asked you those things. So I don't want to, if I get too far off some of the script, uh, please forgive me. But as I've kind of watched some of the videos between you and Dr. Barber and Dr. Hathaway, um, one of the things that I would kind of like to know that I think is kind of a synthesization of those questions that I've got there is what is it that, that makes you distinct from those two guys? Why is it that Dr. Askell is, is a different candidate? How would you set yourself apart from those two guys? Maybe in your vision for the SBC, because you've sat down on panels with them, and maybe with some of the major problems that you see with the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah, and I I wouldn't speak for them. I just got to know Robin a couple of weeks ago when we were out in Keller for that uh, that sit down panel. I've known Bart for years, you know, and I, I we've disagreed on things, but we've always been able to have uh, a real wonderful relationship, and I have respect for him. So I'm, I'm I won't say anything uh, negative about any one of uh, either one of those brothers. And we might disagree. We do disagree on things. We might have some uh, strong disagreements. And I don't mind criticizing the uh, points of argument argument that, that they make, and I would invite them to do the same. And I think, you know, they've done that. That's fine. I don't have any problem with that. I, I think, let me put it like this, what I think I bring to the table as an option for Southern Baptist considered is a, uh, a lifetime of experience as a Southern Baptist pastor. I think I'm going on 44 years now, uh, serving as a pastor of Southern Baptist churches and being involved with the convention as a pastor. You know, I've never served in any kind of official capacity. I've never been elected to anything in the convention, but I've tried to stay involved, led churches to be involved. The church I serve now, been serving for 36 years, wasn't very involved when I came on board, and we led them into the convention, into the association and start giving a cooperative program, things like that. So I bring all of that to the table without being beholden to anyone. I'm not looking for anything to uh, try to broker with uh, people who might have some authority or positions of influence in the convention. And, um, you know, I'm a pastor. I love being a pastor. I do see problems from the vantage point of being the, a pastor of a kind of normative sized Southern Baptist church. Uh, the entities of the SBC belong to the churches, and they need to be held accountable to the churches. That's the reason we have a trustee system. Those trustees, however, are to operate in behalf of the churches and holding the the institutions accountable to the churches. And you see, even with the president or the chairman of the uh, ERLC board, who was asked to chime in on my comments about uh, Mr. Leatherwood's uh, uh, signing his name to that open letter, which I took strong exception to. I think it was a dereliction of duty on his part. And she chimed in to defend him and defend the ERLC. And it was as if, you know, you churches, you pastors kind of get back in your lane here. We're here to protect the entity. And that's, I've seen that time and again, not, not from all trustees, but from many trustees. So I see that as a massive problem. It's a cultural problem, and it needs to be addressed. We can address some of it structurally by changing the way that we train our trustees, helping them to understand what their responsibilities actually are and are not. But also beyond that, man, we've got a spiritual problem. Um, we've seen people lie. I mean, it's, it, they've lied about sexual abuse cover-ups. They've lied about uh, things they've said and haven't said. And it's obvious. There's no doubt that they've lied. It's all. It's proven. 
Well, you don't do that if you fear God. And so I'm thinking we've, we've lost the fear of God in many places in the Southern Baptist Convention. And of course, no president of the SBC, no one person can uh, rectify that. But if we can at least admit it and, and cause people to stop and consider it, then that could become a catalyst for God humbling us to return to him, to seek him, to ask him to come and revive us. So I'm not afraid of having open conversations and pointed conversations about these issues. I've had them privately with SBC leaders for many, many years. And when asked publicly, I, I haven't hesitated to uh, say the same things. And you know, people will often ask me, you know, do you mind if I record this? And I said, look, I assume everything I say is recorded. Uh, so I, I don't have anything to hide. And let me let me also add this, and I'll I'll be quiet, David. But uh, no, you, you you we want to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you know, there's I, I've had conversations with some SBC leaders about the eleventh commandment. You know, the eleventh commandment. Yeah, thou shalt not criticize another SBC entity or leader. Um, and I protested the uh, adherence to the eleventh commandment. I've been told, well, you can't have a convention like ours without it. Well, let me be on record. I'm already on record, but let me be on record again very clearly. I don't believe in the 11th commandment. I'm not obligated to keep the 11th commandment. I don't think the 11th commandment ought to be anything that would rule my conscience. And so if God were to put me in the position of being SBC president, uh, you can be sure you'll have an SBC president who does not feel beholden to keep some man-made rule about how we deal with uh, questions or concerns within the SBC. We have a book. And I'm going to be beholden to that book to the best of my ability. And if I violate the Ten Commandments of God, if I violate any principle of Scripture, I want to be called on it because that's not my intention, and you will help me. But don't, don't think you're going to score any points with me if you say, Tom, you broke the 11th commandment. And my responsible response is, hey, I don't care. It's not my commandment. Yeah, it comes down to uh, the the wonderful film you got to make called "By What Standard," right? And so, that's right. <laughs> you know, I mean, God gave uh, us ten commandments. I got a full plate trying to keep those. You yeah, know? yeah. And I mean, somebody and else keep on adding, right? And it's only going to yeah make things worse. And I think God said something about adding to His yeah. words too. That's so, right. Yeah, that's something that uh, we definitely deal with with here and we've dave and i have had to deal with the whole uh don't uh don't do that and it was even misunderstood that the person that we're talking about was not a southern baptist too so it definitely uh leaks and people just utilize that to kill conversation sure. which is yeah. the whole like if we're not having a conversation as a denomination how are we going to have the denomination as That's we have hard. it if we can't uh, have you it know, so, hey, look, we're yeah. christians you know i mean we're christians yeah. we have a savior there's no condemnation in jesus so if there's something discovered that I discover in myself that's sinful, there's no condemnation. I have forgiveness. I can look to Christ. I can repent. I can be assured of his grace. And I don't know why we can't have those kinds of conversations at every level of the SBC. Yeah. And it just yeah. feels like that that's been stifled in recent years. Yeah. So, and last so oh, yeah, before Adam. Oh, Oh, I was going to say, um, you know, this isn't really on the list, but it's, it's a part of the conversation anyway. Um, just just watching um, that uh, the discussion that you had uh, with the other two, um, you know, th there was kind of this air of you might be the only one that might be noticing problems in the SBC. You know, it seems like, you know, there's, uh, you know, like 
generally in the air, we're humans. There's going to be problems. Eh, we don't really have to like bring them to light. And then you're sitting over here. We've got this. We got this. We got this. So that's kind of one of the distinctions that I took away from that conversation as, uh, as an audience. I hope the other people got it like, okay, here's what sets Tom Askell apart is he is willing to go. Here's a problem here. I'm going to name that problem and I'm going to name names that are yeah. helping perpetuate the problem. And I know, you know, hopefully they get your heart is you're not dead set against them as enemies, but you're going, yeah, you're, you're, you're a person that goes like, but we have to have the conversation. We have to bear with one another. We have to work together. Um, so for our audience, cause you, you just got to look, look at me. I don't look like the normal, uh, denominational loving kind of guy. Um, people question me that all the time. So I'm going to end up on the show, bringing people that really they're part of this thing. They've kind of grown up in it. They're part of a church. that's part of it, but they're not really a part of it. They probably don't even know how much money that they tied to the church and what, it, what it goes to. Right. Um, so, um, what are these issues that you are seeing? in the SBC as a denomination? Why is it, why are they problems? Um, what's going to happen if we keep on treating it as, well, you know, it's just a man thing. We all have problems, but not naming the problems and then naming the names of that's kind of within those problems. Yeah. Well, I've written about this a lot over the years. I've talked about a lot. I've documented it, you know, when people say, well, you're, you just talk generically. No, I mean, I've, I've documented multiple specific situations. Uh, like when Rick Warren's church out in California, they, they celebrated the ordination of two women pastors. This is a new thing. We've never done it before. And they put it all over the internet. And so, you know, they're proud of it. They're not, not trying to do it in a closet and I commend them for that. But hey, that violates the Baptist faith and message. I mean, we're very clear that the office of pastor is limited to qualified men, according to our denomination statement of faith. So that shouldn't happen. Why would a church that's in the SBC feel like they could do that? We've seen multiple churches started through uh, the North American Mission Board's involvement who also have had women pastors. And when they've been called on it, you know, we've been given all kinds of excuses or responses, but none of them have been really satisfying uh, in how that's been handled. You think, why is it happening like that? Why are these things going on? They shouldn't be going on. Uh, we've got a church here in Florida that they have uh, utilized Victoria's Secret and um, the Game of Thrones as themes for their Lord's Day worship services. It's pagan. I mean, it's not even Christian, it's pagan. But when it's been raised to SBC leaders, it's Tom, they signed the Baptist faith and message. <laughs> well, okay, that just means there's a bigger problem, you know, at, at, at play here. And I think what's happening is that that we have been so reductionistic in our thinking that oh, they've signed all the documents, you know. I mean, this is Karen Swallow Pryor at Southeastern Seminary, endorsed revoice. The the homosexual Christian affirming organization. She endorsed it, will not remove her endorsement, has given all kinds of statements and trying to talk around it, but refuses to do the simple thing of, hey, I shouldn't have endorsed it. Or maybe when I endorsed it, it was different than it is now. I no longer endorse it. She just refuses to make that simple statement. And yet I've been told when I dealt with this privately first, is she signed the Danvers statement, she signed the Nashville statement, she signed the Baptist Faith Message, she signed the Abstract of Principles, to which I replied, that's a bigger problem, is you got somebody who think you can be in line with all those documents while denying the very reality on which those documents exist. And here's the issue. Here's what I think is happening. 
is these ideologies in the world today, critical theory, queer theory, critical race theory, intersectionality, all of those things, they are acting like acid and they are eroding the foundation on which our Christian beliefs rest. And we've got our Christian beliefs codified in these, these articles and these statements, and we sign them, we believe them, but they all assume the real world that God created, the world where there's male and female and no other gender, uh, the world where man was made for woman, woman was made for man, and the only proper Christian sexual ethic is that man, one man, one woman, a lifetime of covenant relationship and commitment are to have sexual relations with each other. I mean, these are foundational issues that we've assumed that we can no longer assume. And what's happening is these ideologies have crept in and they're destroying the foundation. All the while, the, the people who are letting them in, or some of them are actually promoting them coming in, say, but hey, you know, we believe in the inerrancy of scripture. And so we've, we've got to look at the foundational creational realities. This is God's world. <laughs> he makes the rules for the world. He's established hierarchies in the world. He's established what's right, what's wrong, what's just, what's unjust, what's loving, what's not loving. And so I'm not impressed anymore when, you know, somebody tells, well, as they did the last couple of years, the most loving thing you can do is to put this piece of cloth over your, fa your face. That's how you love your neighbor. I was like, says who? I mean, where do you, where do you just come up yes. with stuff? You make stuff up. Again, yeah. I know people get tired of hearing me say it, but we have a book. That's and right. let's look at the book and see what the book says, starting in Genesis 1-1. And that's, I've said this to our people for years. That's the most important verse in the Bible right now, Genesis 1-1. Mm. Dr. Askell, I am going to send you probably two questions that I don't think I know they weren't on my list, but as we visited, I've been reminded of our mutual connection with Don Vino, who you okay. had on your great podcast. Let me interrupt you. And I, I, I feel so bad every time you mention the list. I, I got to just confess, I don't even, I haven't looked at the list. So well, that is <laughs> great. That, that makes it even better. That is My conscience keeps just cringing every time you talk about the list. I'm thinking, yeah, I should have looked at it. But yeah, I just. Our, our mutual connection comes through uh, Don Vino, who you had on your podcast, The Sword and the Trowel. And you had him on speaking about the Enneagram. Yeah. And last year at the Southern Baptist annual meeting, a motion was made for the North American Mission Board to look into the Enneagram. My real question is, uh, do you find this to be an issue and why is no one talking about it if it is? Yeah, it's probably a bigger issue than even I realized. But, you know, again, I, I've listened to Don and, and uh, Phil Roberts and others who, who spent a lot of time in investigation on this. And I'm convinced they don't have to argue me into a position other than what I hold. I, I think these kinds of uh, approaches to understanding human personality and dealing with issues of sin and righteousness and health in a, a human personality, I just think they're distractions at best, at best. Beyond that, they might be demonic. Um, there, there are some really bad things associated with the origin and the utility of the Enneagram. And so, and we've had, you know, some of our SBC leaders in the past have kind of uh, uh, celebrated their numbers and how they use this in counseling and in uh, decisions and all. And I just think it's, 
the the best construction I put on it is just foolish. It's silly, but beyond that, it may be uh, far more sinister. So my next question revolves around your friend Tom Buck and the situation regarding his wife's uh, information being <laughs> cast out. Mm -hmm. To me, this points to a bigger problem, an inconsistency. Now, that's one inconsistency, but where are some other inconsistencies where our entities are seeming to act almost rogue? And how are we going to be able to address those things moving forward? Well, we've already talked about one, but let me just circle back to it, is when the acting president of the ERLC signs an open letter that contradicts the strongest anti-abortion resolution that Southern Baptists have ever adopted, which they did in 2021, overwhelmingly adopted, I might say, after thousands, I think it was like 10,000 copies of the resolution were distributed to the messengers in the convention. So arguably, you could make the case that this was the most read resolution before it came to the floor to be voted upon. And it had so much attention shed upon it because the committee didn't want to bring it out and it had to be brought out around the committee and over the committee's protests. So the, and I've had, you know, Denny Burke has said, and others have said, well, the Southern Baptists didn't know what they were voting on. I'm not sure that's the case. You know, I mean, this, this, this resolution had a lot more attention than typically is the case. And so here you've got the ERLC acting president saying, yeah, we know what it says, but we're going to, we're going to make statements and sign off on things that are opposite. And then I, you know, I've read the justifications, you know, that the motion that was attempted to be added was struck down from another resolution, all of that. Look, words have meanings. Uh, they're the Senate structure, syntax, grammar. You, you can discern meaning from the resolution that the Southern Baptist messengers overwhelmingly adopted and what they adopted, what they meant by that resolution, the ERLC president by his open letter contradicted. And that's yeah. a problem. So when, yes. uh, when will you be giving a speech, holding a child uh, at the annual <laughs> meeting, which where when can we expect I, I, that? I was going to have to open that because <laughs> I asked a bunch of uh, abolitionists. So I was like, we're going to have Tom on the show. Um, you got any questions for him? They're like, yeah, when are you going to do it? And how are you going to up, up your brother with that? Oh, uh, man, look, I, I know my place. You know, there's, he's, he takes the trophy for that when I'm just standing back and all trying to take notes and learn. Yeah. Well, I, I did <laughs> okay. sit by your brother during the morning sessions last year at the annual meeting. Uh, and one of the things that I noted was it seemed as if those on the stage were doing the best they could to rush through multiple things. Even one of the questions I asked in the North American Mission Board was uh, involving the abolition of abortion, and I was cut off. And I noted a lot of issues with that, almost a condescension from those on the stage, not almost, I felt a <laughs> condescension from those on the stage and yeah. those on the platform. How is that going to change if Dr. Tom Askell is elected president. What can be done to better help that relationship? Because I am really not joking. I, I actually felt like I was uh, demeaned by a particular person when I was just trying to ask simple questions. Yeah, well, you're not alone in that, brother. Uh, and I think that's part of the problem. And I think that's why some people 
uh, really do believe we need to change the direction of the SBC because we got a culture problem. It's a culture problem. You know, this, this elitist mentality is like you deplorables just stay in your lane. Don't ask us questions. You know, we know what we're doing here. And that kind of condescending attitude has no place in the Christian life at all. I mean, certainly uh, not in the, a body like uh, uh, an annual meeting of a convention of churches that are trying to cooperate together for good things. So, you know, how will that change? I don't know. I, I know that I will do my best to be respectful of everyone as I moderate the meeting. And I will not be afraid to call out of order anybody on the platform that speaks mm. in a condescending manner to a messenger. And we owe, again, I'm pretty clear on it because you know, I spent my life serving a Southern Baptist church that uh, the churches own the entities, the churches are the reasons we meet, and the messengers that come from the churches, they need to be listened to and respected, even, you know, I mean, all the crazy uncles, and I might be one of them, but all, everybody needs to be treated with respect at that annual meeting, and that has not always happened, and I, I say that, too, for the, uh, uh, the heads of the entities and agencies. You know, I, I, I don't want to sit by and let them be dismissive of a messenger. It's not right. It's not right. So I don't know, you know, if there's protocols in place where you get together and talk through these things before uh, the meetings or not. I'm just I'm naive about that. But I certainly can make that statement. And I, I believe that anybody who knows me would recognize that I would not sit by and tolerate that. Um, yeah. Well, amen. Yeah. And thank you for that. I just no, think no, yeah. I just think in my mind, if the arrogance that was perpetuated towards me at the annual meeting or towards you or towards others who spoke, if that was something that occurred in a business meeting at my church, I'd be looking for a new job. Sure. And right. I think that at least the last time I've checked, we voted for individuals who are on the boards of those who hire those individuals. We, we just can't allow that. So another little thing that has been kind of going in my mind regarding the annual meeting. And I know you've spoken on this before. People have talked about a digital presence. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you would be willing to look into? Why is that a good thing or why would that be a bad thing? Yeah. Well, I've had brief conversations with people much smarter than me on these issues who've studied some, some have, have academic degrees actually in uh, this area and uh, the concern for fraud and uh, improper uh, representation in the effort to broaden representation is very real. Now, again, I, I don't understand all of that. I hadn't gone into detail on it, but I do think fundamentally we need to look at a way to doing what we can to encourage greater participation by our churches. And there's an expense involved. There's uh, inconvenience involved. There's all kinds of reasons that churches would otherwise be involved or not involved. You know, I, so I'm, I'm open to those conversations. I think we ought to get, uh, you know, the best thinkers we can together and let's say, okay, let's consider what can we do more than we have done to provide greater access for more of our churches to be involved in this annual meeting that is so vital to the health and direction of our cooperative uh, efforts. You know, before the Southern Baptist Convention, the uh, it was the triennial convention. So once every three years, 
So maybe that's maybe that's a, a possibility. Do we need to do this every year? I mean, I don't know. Maybe we need to do it every two or three years and do it for three days or four days or five days you know, rather than two days. I, I'm just I'm open to those conversations. I would love to hear people make good proposals, legitimate proposals that we can argue about and look at and try to, to sort out to see what can be done more than we have done to facilitate greater participation from more of our churches that own the entities of our convention. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We had a, a wonderful conversation uh, with somebody that uh, you you've been at odds with in the past. That's just what happens anyway. But Rick Patrick, you know, we had, we had oh, yeah. him on the show and he I came in that. and just, yeah, no, and it was, it was great, you know, and it, yeah, it was, it was a great show. And we did talk about that whole, like, you know, body Bakum kind of throws a wrench into everything that he does and him being in South Africa at a church that was put together by a Southern Baptist, you know, the, like, and I'm glad that you're willing to have the conversation because it's something that maybe Taggart can champion is uh, we need to think about these uh, churches that we've made. I mean, we've been great commission. Right. Um, we've been across the world. We've made uh, Southern Baptist churches that are not Southern Baptist churches, but I think they should be, and they should be represented. And just, just think of how that could actually speak into this critical race theory thing. If we actually had other countries going like, you Americans are nuts. Like, what is <laughs> that doesn't make sense. And how much check we could have yeah. if we had other countries just going like, you're, you're fighting over that, you know, yeah. it looks like that, but how does that work over here? And then we could actually have, I mean, yes, it's a globalist thing, but Jesus is a globalist Jesus. So he owns everything, you know, and we need to somehow figure out like, what do we do um, as the world repents and as we go across the world and it's shown and the church is just built, you know, so it's a beautiful thing. And it sounds like you're willing to have the conversation. And then it's just people like Dave, you and me have to come up and be like, okay, how can we ask the question from the floor? Whenever, uh, whenever uh, Tom Askell sitting up there moderating this thing. <laughs> well, so. well, you're a great optimist, aren't you? Uh, post millennial no, optimism. Uh, we would we have a post millennial hope. Certainly, uh, we we both have uh, yes, we both have a leaning towards that direction. Uh, oh, which amen. then we hope the 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 goal is to see the Great Commission Baptist truly be global. And there is a, a call for that. I, I hope as the gospel expands that there's more of that, you know, I'm so mm -hmm. fortunate to teach at Midwestern and we have tons of students from Korea. I mean, I've had online students that were in Korea that could barely speak English in my classes, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's an amazing thing. And so this should be something that we at least have planning for. Let me, let me jump to something. Uh, speaking of uh, optimism and hope, uh, tell me what it is that makes you the most excited about the Southern Baptist Convention. What is it that gives you the most hope? And I also want to say, my dad was a North American, well, home mission board church planter. My grandma was a missionary with the IMB in Ecuador. Uh, I am so fortunate to be a recipient of cooperative program dollars. And so uh, I have great hope. But tell me what gives Tom Askell great hope uh, as a Southern Baptist. Yeah, two things. Potential. Uh, it's amazing what God has done already and uh, what we have entrusted to us right now. Uh, we educate one third of all seminary students in North America, largest missionary sending force in the world. Uh, it, it, the, the potential is incredible that we have, and I could elaborate on that. The second thing that makes me hopeful is that uh, there, there are a lot of pastors 
of normative size Southern Baptist churches that I am convinced. I, I talked to a lot of them, certainly not 47,000 of them, but we got 47,000 plus churches. And I just have to believe that the overwhelming majority of them are not woke and they're not in any danger of becoming woke. They're faithful, serving their churches, many of them, maybe most of them, bivocational. And so they're, they're having to do far more than a lot of pastors are having to do uh, to carry out their ministerial responsibilities. And they want to serve their churches. They really do want to teach the word to the best of their ability. And they love to cooperate. They're willing to cooperate. They don't want to have to be suspicious about everything that's coming down from the uh, different organizational headquarters that we own and support, but they, they want to trust and they want to cooperate as they can. And if, if men like that and churches that they serve like that can be awakened to not just the problems that we have in the SBC that need to be corrected, but the great potential that we have in cooperating together. The, the, the cooperative program is an ingenious idea. It's ingenious. I mean, there's so many things that Southern Baptists have done well, and I just want to see those things harnessed uh, under the Lordship of Christ in a more healthy way than we've ever done before. So all of that, those, those two things are grounded in the, this undying hope in the reality that we have a God who raises the dead. And so, you know, I mean, people who are not Southern Baptists, even some that are Southern Baptists would tell me, man, you're on a fool's errand here. Uh, you should get out and you're a compromiser. The SBC's died. It's, it's dead. It's never going to come back. Well, look, God raises the dead. I mean, there's nothing too difficult for him. I really believe that. Now, will he uh, take the SBC and bring about genuine Reformation revival and renewal and humble us and grant to us a new fear of God and and come and just awaken us in fresh ways? I don't know. I don't know. But I think it's worth pleading to him to do. I think it's worth us working hard to address the issues that are clearly contrary to his word and to encourage each other to repent and to cast ourselves on his mercy. And who knows what the Lord might do? So mm -hmm. all of that, it, it does make me very hopeful about the SBC. We, we'll see what God does. And I, I said it at the beginning, you know, I don't feel any added pressure. Uh, I'm doing the same things I've always done. I'm just having to kind of do them in a little more intense schedule than what I've done in recent years. But this idea of, you know, I'm not even running for the presidency of the SBC. I've been asked to let myself be nominated, and I'm willing to do that. And I'm willing to have conversations like this. But, man, I've got it with an open hand. If, if God wants to put it in my hand, by his grace, I will do the best I'm capable of doing. If he doesn't put that in my hand, it's not going to change the way I live. Uh, I've got a full plate being a pastor. And if I become president, one of the questions I was asked there at the Keller panel is, you know, how will you manage your time here? I think it was at the Keller panel, but anyway, somewhere I said, it's not going to change. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a husband. I'm a father, grandfather. I'm a pastor. And then I do other things. Mm. And so the SBC yeah. presidency would be one of those other things, uh, trying to keep it in its proper perspective. So Adam and I both have pictures of Jonathan Edwards, Adoniram Judson. I see Spurgeon over your shoulder. Let me give you a fun question. 
I know that Tom Nettles is on your wall at the back of the Sword and Trowel studio, but if you could give me, give me your, give me your uh, Mount Rushmore once more of, I want uh, Southern Baptist though, because it's not just Southern Baptist that I, I named one because two of those guys, there was no Southern Baptist convention. Well, one of them, uh, yeah, no, neither, none of those were Southern Baptist at all, but who are your, who are your Southern Baptist Mount Rushmore's? Wow. Well, if you're talking about the whole history of the Southern Baptist Convention, yeah, I think you'd have to put P.H. Mel uh, in that. You know, 17 years president of the SBC, John Dagg, um, blind theologian, first writing theologian of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, Adrian Rogers, who was the first man elected in the conservative resurgence and then elected a second time a few years later, who uh, he rose in my esteem through a private meeting that I was in with him and a few others uh, when he silenced that room that was very boisterous and triumphant and triumphalistic in, in, in ways that were off-putting, quite honestly, because they had just uh, effectively flipped the board of the old Sunday school board and were able to uh, take measures to relieve Lloyd Elder, who was the president of it, and uh, there was a giddiness, and I saw Adrian Rogers stand up in a room of about twenty men, and, and these were, you know, these were all besides me. I mean, I, I don't know how I got in the room, quite honestly, but these other guys were all key, well-known leaders, well-known leaders in the SBC in the conservative resurgence. And he stood up and he said, "Brothers, so what we're doing is not right." So the the Bible tells us we must not rejoice even when our enemy falls, and these men are not our enemies. And you could have heard a pin drop and heads dropped. And there was just this heavy silence as, as everybody in the room kind of took stock of, you know, it's right. And so, I mean, Adrian Rogers would have to be on that wall. Tom Nettles. Uh, I mean, he's, he's the only living portrait we have in the sword and the trial uh, studio, by the way. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. Uh, the story of Tom, um, I mean, there's a lot publicly about Tom. People know and it's well outstanding, but there's so much more privately about Tom Nettles. There's actually, uh, we're working on a biography uh, for Tom Nettles and about him. And it's uh, God, God gifted him, God positioned him, God used him and Margaret and have and still are in so many wonderful ways. And his life as well as his teaching, his teaching is so pure gold. I mean, that book on Spurgeon that you see, uh, there's nothing like it. Tom captures Spurgeon in my estimation. I'm just a pastor, but in my estimation, Spurgeon is a pastor theologian. That's what drove him. Everything was theological for Spurgeon. And so, you know, he didn't make these distinctions about, well, I'm a pastor here. I'm a father over here. What? No, 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 man. Everything was theological. Tom captured that and explains that so well, but then Tom's private life. I mean, Tom Nettles was the only Southern Baptist seminary historian, history professor, that didn't sign a letter that the SBC history professor circulated early in the days of the conservative resurgence, basically saying inerrancy is a Johnny-come-lately idea to Baptist life. Tom refused to sign it. It cost him. It cost him. And I've seen him take stands that have been costly uh, throughout my relationship with him that is now over 40 years. And so, uh, yeah, he would need to be on Mount Rushmore, Mount Rushmore for Southern Baptists. Well, yeah. 
thank you for sharing those things. I am grateful. Uh, I uh, am so thankful for your founder's ministry. Uh, my dad always tells me to thank you for the book you sent, me, sent him at the start of it. Yeah. So I uh, say that once again. Um, and I'm grateful for the fact that you accepted the nomination. So, mm-hmm. Adam, I know, Dr. Askell, you have answered a lot of questions from folks. I wanted to get a few things that people hadn't touched base on. Uh, when I looked at my questions, they were so generic. I was like, oh, goodness. So I'm glad you didn't see them. <laughs> uh, and as we came right. into it, I was like, man, I, I watched. There's a lot of great stuff out there. Uh, if someone did have a question, uh, I know Dr. Barber sent me a great little piece about here's all of his positions. Uh, where would be the best place that people could go to get some of those things? Because we hope that other people will see this, be like, oh, man, I like that. Dr. Askell, I'm making sure I'm going to Anaheim to vote for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, if they go to founders.org, uh, I've written a lot there. I mean, if they just kind of Google my name, we have an internal search engine there. Uh, just Google that. You want to know what I think about something. If I've written on it, just put that topic in there, that word in my name, and stuff will come up. Or you can go to the Sword in the Trial uh, episodes on YouTube and all the podcast uh, platforms. And we, we try to put keywords and topics to tag those things, too. Um, you know, I don't have one place. I mean, Bart was pretty energetic and putting together an FAQ page. That was probably smart. Uh, I, I just haven't done that. And, and yet I've, I've been talking a long time for years. I've been writing a long time. And so most of the things that are hot topics, hot button issues I've addressed and I've addressed them openly and some of them repeatedly. And so it's not hard to just Google my name and those topics, and you can find stuff. But uh, in at least in the last 20 years or so, most of what I've written has found its way on the founders.org website, and uh, you can access that. Yeah, yeah, I'd encourage you to go to Founders uh, website and uh, look up all the stuff. So get, get stuff about Tom here, but then look at the other stuff that they provide, because this Founders Ministries, again, like I said, I don't look or act like the denominational kid. Um, I've only been in this thing for maybe like been in Baptist life for like 11, 12, man, 12, 13 years. Um, and so I've kind of joined into it. And so I should be one of like more of the X-29ers and kind of in, into that. And then, you know, a lot of us X-29 kids are in the SBC as well. And we don't really kind of think about the SBC and we're almost not really thinking about X-29 a whole lot anymore either. We're kind of concerned um, with our local churches, but Founders Ministries has helped me and is probably the leading reason why I care mm. about the SBC. So I want to thank you for that because as this um, just very, I can, I can get hyper if I want to, um, and it's founders is what's kept me in check uh, with what I've read um, just through history of how the SBC comes around, how we are to bear with one another mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So founders, you know, like I, I defend founders because like I, I say founders and there's people that are getting inflamed immediately. Yeah. They're like, oh, you like that? And I'm like, calm down because now you're going to act hyper your direction <laughs> and we need to come together. And this is what. So the reason why I get into this denominational thing, like you said, there's bones. There's really good things that uh, we need to continue to prop up mm-hmm. and then we need to um, do away with or reform, <laughs> which is should be our spirit anyway of, of, of dealing with one another. But just want to encourage everybody to go to founders and get into that. And so where where are 
divides are or where they are and where we stand is where we stand. And Founders is really good about showing those little, here's the dividing lines, but here's where we stand and here's how we can cooperate. So it's like the appendix in that traditional statement. Because I have I have problems with the Baptist faith and message 2000, you know, um, and they're the typical ones. But I have to go back and be like, but here we go, you know. And so every generation's got to answer for it. Um, Tom, we hope, you know, I hope that you get the presidency. I'll be in Anaheim. Hopefully I'll meet you and uh, be able to put my little yellow card or whatever color they are and, uh, you know, support you. Um, and then whatever tag you can do, if that were to happen, if we on the state level can help push anything for um, denominational unity on issues. We're here. Just let us know and uh, we'll get the word out in our own way. So thanks, Adam. Uh, thank so, you. Did I understand you say you're going to vote for me? I am. Okay. Man, hang on. You got my vote. That makes 59. <laughs> yes. Right? So hey, I'm one, one more, of 59. One more 60. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that works. I know, I know more than that. I know more than that are going to, we're going to champion for you and we'll, we'll, we'll do, you don't have to campaign. We'll just do it all for you, but make sure you hold babies. You just need to hold babies. <laughs> I'll take some babies from multiple <laughs> babies, make them really cute. So <laughs> Dr. Askell, so, yeah. I am praying for you. I'm excited for you. I've gleaned so much from founders as well and uh, grateful for your influence and impact. And uh, yes, Thank you for making time. I want to make sure you have plenty of time because you do run a lot. <laughs> so uh, Adam will give you a little few of instructions of how we kind of wrap things up here. And uh, I'll let him do that. All right. All you have to do is we're just going to end this thing. And all you have to do is remember the word Gloria. And after we say it, you'll know where to say it. So anyway, uh, thank you, uh, Tom, for your time and uh, your just patience over the years and your patience with us and coming on and, and talking. We hope that this edifies the saints and this strengthens um, our our local associations, that it strengthens our state associations and ultimately our national association as we go across the world with the gospel um, and in our backyards as well. So thank you for that. So with that said, this is the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. I'm David Van Pepper. And I'm Tom Aspen. And, uh, and Soli. Deo. Gloria. <laughs>